Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hello there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. So thankful, so grateful uh, that you're here spending this time with me, wherever you are in the world, doing whatever it is you may be doing. I genuinely appreciate it, uh, you spending your time with me, all the things you could be doing in the world. Um, if you haven't already, I'm going to ask a small favor. If you can share, subscribe, rate, review the podcast, wherever you may listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, it'll do a huge, huge service for, uh, for the podcast to spread it. And yeah, man, spread the love. It'll come right back to you. Uh, today, I'm very excited to introduce our guest on the show. Uh, we were actually in a mastermind group for a while, and she's got big things on her mind. And uh, I'm really excited to share her with the world, with my audience. Uh, so let me just get to it. Sarah Kogan, welcome to the Adulthood Revisit podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. And what an amazing intro. I hope I live up to it. No, no, I, I'm, I'm sure you definitely will. So Sarah, Sarah is a film and costume designer. Uh, that's the context that I know her in, but she also has her own garment design uh, set ready go bag. So we'll hopefully touch on that for a little bit. She also uh, hosts her own hosts and publishes her own podcast, Designing the Void, for uh, people in the film industry, in the film costume design industry. So I'm, I'm really hoping we get to touch on, on that experience. And prior to the call, you shared with me some, some really big things and big shifts that you're undertaking right now. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot to cover. I can't wait for you to unpack it. So let me just take a step back. Sarah, I want to yield the floor to you. And if you can share with the audience a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and then how you got to where you find yourself today. Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, I'm Sarah Kogan and I am from, I hail from Northern California, a little city called Redding. And so my background is, again, as Richard mentioned, I'm a costume designer and film designer um, for film and television and commercials. And I have my master's in costume and lighting design for theater, as well as a bachelor's in costume and lighting design and theatrical design. And I fell into design because I actually thought I was going to be a performer. And I dedicated my entire youth to being a great performer, right? Like um, Harrison Ford did all of his own stunts. So I was like, obviously, I need to do all my own stunts. So I learned how to like ride horses, vault on horses, um, you know, do all sorts of mixed martial arts, kickboxing, all those things. And then um, was singing, singing lessons, dancing lessons, all the things being like, I'm going to be a, a, a performer. That's obviously the only path in the storytelling industry. Cause that's the only thing anyone ever talks about. And then at 17, I lost my voice and I had uh, tonsil surgery and it hit a nerve. 
And all of a sudden I didn't know what I was going to do. So for the past nine years of my life, I had literally dedicated my entire existence to being the best at performing and now had no way to communicate. So I then went into college kind of be like, well, now what? And spent a year kind of trying to figure things out. And Tony Kushner came to a drama class and was like, if you want to be a performer, don't study acting, go live life and then bring that, go get a graduate degree in acting, which of course is like not what the drama professors want anyone to say. But I was like, okay, Tony Kushner, like you have a Tony Award for Angels in America. I'm going to listen to you because obviously you've done something right. And I hated my life. And so I knew I didn't want to study acting in college, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was on the verge of quitting college when my dad was like, well, why don't you just check out the costume design department? Like somebody has to put clothes on those actors when they're on stage. Like there's got to be something there. And like you did your own prom outfit and you kind of did all this stuff. So why don't you go check that out? And that basically that conversation changed the trajectory of my life. And I now love what I do as a filmmaker and as a designer. And I just think it's the coolest thing. And so fast forward now, like 15 years, here I am. I've got, you know, several network television shows under my belt, um, a couple premium channel shows. I worked on last week tonight with John Oliver as an assistant costume designer and did some really exciting stuff there. And then another show I was assistant costume designer on just got nominated for a daytime Emmy for best costumes. So that's called Helpsters. Check it out. It's on Apple TV. You know, really great work. The designer Kayla Wall is fantastic. And so, you know, so just kind of a lot of really great things have been happening in that realm of my life and my career as a designer. Um, And then in like five years ago, I was like, I came up with this garment bag design to organize your entire outfit because as a indie costume designer, you know, I'd be designing outfits in my apartment and prepping for films in my like tiny, you know, at the time Queens apartment and it, you know, there's no space. And I would then get to set and realize, oh no, we put the bag of shoe, the shoe bag, the, the bag with all the shoes didn't come to set. And like, you know, or like, oh, I actually bought the thing I thought I bought, but didn't see because it was in this, you know, everyone does like Ziploc baggies and then they put all the accessories in Ziploc baggies and then, you know, safety pin those into the garment bags. So it's really easy for things to kind of get lost and muddled. And I found it really hard to kind of mentally process what I had. And so I wanted a better way to see the outfits come together by doing these like organized garment bags with all the accessories. And then I also thought like, well, if I do this right, then I can, I never have to worry what jobs that I take because I'll be, I'll have this kind of passive income, which was a big term at the time. There's no such thing as passive income I've learned. And (laughs) that takes a lot of work. There is not. There is not. Yeah. So it takes a lot of work to get to passive income. So uh, it's not that passive then, (laughs) but uh, it's been a great journey and that, kind of has led me down this kind of interesting path as a, both a creative and as an entrepreneur of kind of bridging those gaps and opening me up to circles like the mastermind group that we are in and getting to then communicate with people on different levels. And so that journey of creating this product has really got me to also then look at my career as a filmmaker from a very different perspective. You know, I came with a fine arts degree um, and I now look at everything with this uh, sense of, I should apologize. If there's any background noise, it's because we're fostering cats right now and they are insane. And so I apologize. So, uh, my dog tends to be my co-host once in a while. So it's, there you go. My dog too, but he just sits there and snores. So, you know, uh, but yeah, so going back to kind of this journey, um, Again, I've had this really wonderful career so far as a designer, and I continue to want to do that. I love film and television as a storytelling and as an art form. So, uh, you know, that's my life's passion. And now looking at, I've just started, I'm just about to launch a course on Monday that is on visual storytelling and world building for filmmakers because because I started writing my own work, uh, I've gotten into groups of filmmakers who are, you know, directors and writers and producers, 
and have found that they don't feel like they've been given the information they need to truly be successful on set because this conversation of visual storytelling and world building hasn't been a part of the training that's out there. And if you go online for it, there's really not much out there for them. And for me, it's like the most fascinating thing to talk about. I love it. I think it's great. And um, it's about like, for me, it's the theorizing of the work that we do as filmmakers with then adding on that layer of practical steps that we can take to actually create the work we want. Because most film young filmmakers you know, your current project or the projects that you have in your portfolio are what will get you your next job. And if it's lacking in execution, it'll be a lot harder to get another job and a lot harder to get more funding and get a following. And so helping people create a better product is really my like dream and goal with this course and to help them understand what's needed for their films and understand how to budget appropriately for their films so that when they get to the filming process, you know, everything's laid out the way that they want and they can have the creative vision. Because, you know, if you find out that all you need is an extra $2,000 to have your short film look exactly like you want it to, you've already raised $10,000. What's another 2000 right? To get exactly what you want. And that can have long-term effects on your career that are, you know, life-changing. So it's really important to think about things in that way. And so I just really want to help filmmakers with that because that information is lacking as they've said. And, you know, and then on the other side, designers are like, why do directors not know how to communicate with me? Why, why do people not understand what I'm, what we're doing and what our side of the process is like? How did they go through film school and not learn this? So my goal is to kind of help bridge the gap and solve both of those problems through education with this course and, that, that and my podcast. And we'll touch on the and podcast. my podcast, yeah, yeah, um, pretty potent and pretty pretty powerful. Like trying to, there's a lot of it seems like a lot of disconnects or gaps that you're you're trying to solve. Um, I actually want to go to something that you share on your website about. I'm always interested in like the origin story, and you share mm -hmm. that you you kind of fell into this your passion for production, whether it's mm -hmm. film or something, but some type of visual production at watching performance of 12th night yeah um, what what about that performance do you still remember and carry with you yeah okay so i was eight years old and this is this is the moment that i was like this is the thing i'm going to do for the rest of my life and where i thought i was gonna be an actress this is that moment where i was like oh i love this so i was at oregon shakespeare festival and it was the my not my first experience of professional theater but the first experience that I truly remember, and I mean, Twelfth Night is my favorite Shakespeare story. It's the only one that I'm like, yeah, I'll go watch that anytime. Uh, and I think it's because I love that Viola is a um, very entrepreneurial woman, right? It's a time when women were unsafe on their own, and so she dresses as a man and becomes a servant to survive, right? So while it's a love story, it's also a story about a woman who is brave and inventive and in a lot of ways entrepreneurial to find her own path to be able to, in a world where that wasn't an option for her, right? So I think I really identified with her in that sense. And the show, there's just like one scene that I remember um, and, it's so funny because I'm like, I might be wrong because when I talk to somebody from Oregon Shakespeare Festival about this, they're like, I don't know if I remember that show. And I was like, well, this is what I tell myself. So who knows? Maybe it was a different show. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it was more of the just like the feeling of being riveted by this show and being riveted by the performances and being in a space where I felt changed by what I saw. And so wanting to offer that to other people and to connect on that like emotional heart level with audiences is like, to me, the most amazing experience. And, you know, I always say with my work, why I kind of went from theater into film and television is I'm much more interested in that larger conversation with our work. So theater only is really site specific, right? You, it, and it's pretty costly. So being able to, have an audience, you know, for an audience member. So 
you have to a be in the right location for the show and b you have to have then the money to afford or the connection to get a ticket for um you know a show to be able to watch it and so because of those two constraints i found it very limiting in terms of having this conversation with our communities as a whole and why i like film and television so much is that we create something and it exists on on a platform and film and television lives on and you get to have that conversation that i was so struck by in a 12th night uh of just like experiencing something and being affected by a story at a much larger scale and it can live on for years after right we we watch movies of filmmakers who are dead now but their story and their legacy and the way that they impact us is still very deep and still very visceral i mean not that the filmmakers are all dead but i just watched in the heat of the night um and it's where my dog's name comes from and i was watching it and it's like it's still so relevant and still so moving and touching of a story now and it was made you know six almost 60 years ago so i find that really amazing about the film and television industry and why i've kind of shifted into that and to be a part of um, this larger conversation you know that's kind of what draws me i think uh i said this to somebody richard where i was like uh you know, we are echoes of the past that reverberate into the future. And so what draws me to my work is that conversation within that timeline. And so, and my role within this, you know, these echoes and reverberations. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers that question. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm always curious as to like, why I, I don't, in, in thinking about my own life, I don't know that I did, I had like a, a, childhood calling to being an attorney um and so i'm always fascinated when when people have you know some an experience like that so i'm all like curious like how that like plays out in 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 later years Mm -hmm. um you you intimately share that you had to have certain like you were pursuing this you were taking singing uh singing lessons and Mm -hmm. you know really putting your energy as when you were younger as for as a performer and then had to have surgery which i I didn't know until this conversation Mm -hmm. um and then you kind of pivot into costume design Mm -hmm. what was that like on the i mean maybe you want to share a little about how you felt about that pivot at the time if if you have any any thoughts and reflections on that but also on the back side of that when because now some of the work that you're trying to do is to bridge the gap between like new people, newbies entering into the film, television, costume side of it that have this, I, I, I don't wanna say it's naive, but they're not aware of the, because rea- you shared this with me before, the realities of how the industry works. So maybe a little about your experience first getting into the industry um, yourself. Yeah, okay, so there's like two questions there. So I'll answer the first one of like this pivot, and then I'll talk about kind of starting out the things I learned there. So I should say, like, I also, in this pivot, I had always, because I wanted to be a performer so badly as a kid and thought that that was my only option, I was like, okay, well, if that's the case, like, I should know how to do anything and everything that's in this industry. Just in case uh, I, I struggle as an actor, I'll always be around the people that do the work I do, right? So and I don't was like I always kind of knew like I never want to wait tables. I would rather work in a costume shop and sew snaps on or paint sets. Or so I was that kid in in high school and in um, I mean my eighth grade project was I wrote, got my classmates together. We wrote a play the first half of the year called the Cheesy Potato Play. I my mom just found the script and I have to like go reread what we wrote. It's probably awful, uh, but my like I then. like we I got this group together we wrote this play and then I directed and like produced this play in eighth grade with my mom as my like I homeschooled and so as my like homeschool charter school eighth grade project and I in order to make it happen like we had to tear down a wall I like made the costumes like I had this whole like really high concept idea of like it was kind of like uh it was a little bit of a 12th night story but also meets like Star Wars and so like (laughs) It was just bizarre. Um, so I've always done this kind of 
back end side of film of storytelling, right? Whether it was if performative storytelling, whether it was, you know, I mean, I, we like my dad and I tore a wall down for so that I could get the the performance space for free. Like that was like what we did. Here I am in eighth grade, like wielding a sledgehammer with my dad. <laughs> like I just ridiculous. And, you know, so it kind of made the transition into design really, really seem relevant. But then all of my training as a performer has directly influenced my work as a designer. So the way I break down a character is very much from an actor's perspective, which makes me a better collaborator with them. Plus I was like, oh wait, so like, I don't have to worry about what I look like. Like, I don't have to worry about, you know, I'm not an ingenue, right? I would probably never play an ingenue. And at the time, 20 years ago, those were the rules for women. You can only be the like hot girlfriend or like the hot character or an ingenue, or you were like this character actress, which meant you weren't going to work until much later in your career, in your life. And it was just a very kind of tough place to be. Um, you know, and the roles, it's interesting, there's the, just talking on that point, like more women are interested in the arts and storytelling than men, but the roles for men are much greater than the roles for women, right? And so it's the current issue that we're still struggling with within the industry of representation of women's voices and also, you know, the BIPOC community. And so, you know, so I love what I do because I get to then, I don't have to worry about what I look like. Like for those, you can't see me, but I have like a half a head, half of my head is like super short. Um, and then the other half of my hair is like really long. And so I have this really unique hairstyle that I wouldn't be able to have as an actress, for example. So I get to be a little more self-expressed in my body than other than actors. And then that I also then got to do all the psychological work that an actor does for their character, but now I get to do it for all the characters. So I don't have, I can get to like have these really deep conversations about this character's journey and what it looks like through the clothes or what it looks like through the, you know, it's why I love doing costumes because I get to then really work with the actors. And then because of my training as a performer, I could be like, oh, you're going to be doing this, that, or the other thing. I know what you need and I can be preemptive. Um, I know what stunts are going to need from a costume designer so that they can do their job so I can then, you know, help that along in a more collaborative way versus somebody who's like, they don't know how stunts work because they've never taken a boxing class. They've never learned how to do um, mixed martial arts. So they wouldn't be able to be preemptive of like what questions to ask or what the materials need to be. So those are things that for me, I think have really made that transition really fun because I still get to do all of the stuff I loved about be a performer, but I don't have to worry if I get casted or if people like what I look like. You know, I can just show up and do a job and create a create a, a collaborative, creative environment for people to really, you know, do their thing, which is what I like. So that pivot kind of came really naturally then. And then it also, when I was in college, I was like, like I had mentioned, I almost dropped out. And once I started studying design, I was like, oh my God, I love this. This is amazing. This is everything I kind of like want it to be. And then, uh, but then on top of that, I'm really freakishly good at this in a way that I hadn't anticipated. And so it's just always come very fluidly for me and I enjoy it and I get lost in it. And that was kind of how that pivot happened. Um, so now let's, so I then went and got my, I went straight from undergrad to grad school which, and I went to one of the top three schools for design, for theatrical um, design, which was UC San Diego. And I then, after that came out with my master's before turning 25 and at like 25 started my professional career full on. And it was definitely like at first people, my, the advice that I had received was like, do good work and more good work would come, will come. And to a degree that is true but into the the way that the industry works now and the way that people get their work i think is slightly different from before and there's also a much larger broader world of work than there was 20 years ago so you know so i'm actually writing a book on that that'll probably come out at the end of 2021 um but it was so that transition then of like, how do I make a living as a creative when my work is so reliant on the people I work for getting that information out? 
right? So if I do, if I bust, you know, so the first two years of my career, I was, I mean, I was doing shows where I had $800 and I was building everything from scratch. And I think I got like a stipend of like $200. Like I was making no money and I was working hundred hour weeks. And I was um, very fortunate that the first, like the quote unquote day job of mine um, was designing the lighting for concerts and live performances at La Poisson Rouge here in New York. And so I never had a, I always was designing. So I was very lucky to get to have that opportunity so that I could be like, Hey guys, I'm going to be in tech this next week. So I can't work this week, but I can work these days. And so to be in that, to have that as a day job, quote unquote, was as a stable paycheck was kind of great. And so all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, I'm doing all these shows and I'm working really hard and no one's coming to the shows to see them and they're not marketing them and they're not, they don't know how to, and they were not even getting pressed to the shows. So the thing that I need as a designer is I either need the right people to see my work to offer me bigger jobs, or I need press that comes to play and a live show and says, uh, you know, the design was really great and like it really served the story and like all that kind of great stuff because that's proof of concept right and that's proof of my ability to then deliver for the next job and when that doesn't happen it's really hard to move forward in your career and again uh, as I mentioned before then it became I want to do the same thing but like I prefer a larger conversation so I moved into film and television and even a low-paying film and TV job pays me more than a high-paying indie theater job. So, like, you know, it just kind of became, like, I, it's also not sustainable. Um, but, again, I'd, like, put all this work in, and then nobody would see it, and it wouldn't matter. I mean, I had a show that was featured in Us Weekly, and they got all this amazing press for it but then they didn't actually want to spend the money on marketing the show. And so then the show tanked because nobody knew to come to it, even though we had gotten all this amazing press. So it's just one of those things where I've kind of found myself then feeling like I need to, I want to be in control of my own career. And that's kind of, again, where this kind of shift, new shift in my life is coming of like doing these online courses and writing my own material to design and, you know, and looking at how I can be more part of the, back end side of the film of like, all right, now we've made it like, let's talk about how we can market this and get this out and take, you know, and make it a success for not just the director and the writer and the actors, but all the people involved in the process because their lives, their careers, you know, their dreams and ambitions in life all depend on the success of the work they do. So let's make that as, you know, positive as possible and as like beneficial to everyone as possible. Would you say that, because that that, that sounds like, quite an emotional and mental challenge that you're putting in this work all like these long hours right like grinding away knowing that you're not getting paid right especially initially like but accepting that as truth Mm -hmm. and having you know the the producers of the show not marketing whatnot were essentially like like you kind of shared the your success or your ability to then pivot and grow is kind of cut short by, you know, the creators and producers. But I guess my question is, do you think that anyone who's listening to this, who's who wants to get into film and TV production mm-hmm. needs to go through those growth pains to figure out what they really want to do? I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I, I have friends, you know, I, I have, so on my podcast, I interview like all design storytellers. So like production designers, costume designers, uh, graphic artists, because graphics are a really big thing in film and in terms of storytelling in film and television and, um, you know, finishing effects. Like I, I interview all these people about what their, what their medium, whether it's sets, costumes, et cetera, means to them as a creative and as a storyteller. And so, you know, even in all those conversations, unanimously, they're all like, no, I wish people understood. They don't, they don't all want to be, 
producers or, you know, they want to just get to go and be creatives and do, do the work that they love and bring the stories out that they love through clothing, through sets, through graphics, through finishing effects. And so it, I don't think you need to know, go through that pain to know what you want to do. Like I, I am definitely someone who like, I think I tend to be, I mean, my graduate professor was like, you've always been entrepreneurial. Like you've always kind of dead said that this is like, there aren't costume and lighting designers. So costumes is this really like tangible physical thing and lighting design is completely ethereal. And, um, you know, it's really like you have to be able to visualize things in your brain because, you know, you can't see light until it hits an, a light reflecting object, whatever that might be, right? A body, um, a wall, artwork, a sculpture, like you can't see that until it hits it. So they're two very, in like a lot of people's minds, two very different things. For me, it's always been, how are we seeing the body? Um, how do we see people? How do we experience the human form? Uh, and that's, so to me, they're the same in that way, which, you know, but that doesn't exist. So when I went out to go get graduate degrees, I told everybody, no, I want both. And everyone told me I couldn't do it. And I was like, yes, I can. And I've had a very great career doing both. Um, I've gone, you know, and so, you know, it's just definitely a thing where like, I've always kind of done my own thing. And so this path that I'm on is very much like, of course, Sarah's going to go do this thing because she never does what anybody else does. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I'm like, oh, that's nice. I'm going to do this though anyways. Cause like, that's nice. You know? Um, so I would like, I mean, I would like it to be something like, I think we all have our own struggles and pains, but like, I would like that to be less for people you know, in this and, and have the creative struggle and the creative pain and the career pain come from how do I get better at my craft? Not how do I make sure I don't get screwed over, right? Like, how do I get better at my craft? How do I better serve my industry? Those are the questions and struggles I want people to ask and pay attention to. And so in my dream world, that's, you know, that's where we move to versus, you know, people are just trying to screw me over you know, and take advantage of me, which there's a lot of those conversations in, in what, in what I do and as creatives and also getting creatives to then go like, how do we help each other value one another more so that we're not taking advantage of, or how do we have empathy for you're a young filmmaker. You literally don't know what you're putting together. You've never made a film before or you've only made one short before and you did everything by yourself. And this is the first time you're working with a designer. So you literally don't know what you don't know. So how can we have empathy as creatives who have more experience in what that is, right? And, uh, you know, so those are the things that I want people to focus on when it comes to that struggle versus. Can you share a little about um, maybe what's the experience of success feel like to you? And by that, I mean, like as a lawyer, it, it's a pretty tangible effect, right? I represent someone, there's like a concrete result. If, you, if you're maybe a, a, a doctor or something like that, there's like a, a, a medical outcome. Or if you build a house, like you built the house. For you, right? Because like you shared, there's, been, there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of grinding that you put in into your work. Um, but what, what's that experience when you, when you feel like this is why I do what I do? Maybe you can share an example or so, but what, what does that feel like and come up for you? Yeah. Okay. This is great. This is a really great question. So it's one also that I've been really looking at, right? There's different, there's like our ultimate goal of success. And then there's also like these milestone moments in between. Uh, and, you know, there's like a couple things. Like as a costume designer, I feel deep success or even like as any kind of design that I do, um, whether it's production design, lighting, because I started doing that as well because it was like, oh, well, we decided to go with this other designer. And I was like, well, they're great because they they just had did a film with Paul Rudd. Like I don't have Paul Rudd in my, my portfolio. So like by all means, I know why you hired them and they're, they seem great, um, you know. And, but they're like, well, we really like you. Can you do the production design? And I was like, okay you know so that like I just kind of started doing all these things and for me when it comes to whatever I'm designing it it's like if the 
creative, like the produce, creative producers, whether it's the writer and the producer or the writer and the director or whoever's visions this film is, come to me and say, this was so much more than I had ever dreamed it would be, then I feel amazed. Like I really then added to it, right? Or if I have a moment with an actor where they're like, I just really feel like I'm my character now, like, thank you. Like that to me is, is a huge success in terms of like the actual act and execution of my work, right? I really, uh, and then, you know, and now that success is changing with the way I define it, right? Like I, I think some people, like if there's a level of like, also how constantly am I getting the calls to be hired? Like there's a level of feeling success in that and being able to just be like, you know, uh, I know, like I know I'm at a place now with my career where I know if I tell designers on like major shows that I'm available, they'll want to hire me immediately. And some of that comes from the way that I approach my work, regardless of what I'm doing. Like during this pandemic, I've been also babysitting just to like help people out uh, because I can. And uh, and so if I'm going to show up and babysit, right? Like that's not my life's goal, dream and ambition, but I'm going to show up and do that job to the best of my ability, just as much as I'm going to come in as an assistant costume designer and show up with the intention that, you don't have to worry. I got you. So whatever you need, I'm here for you. And I'm going to help you make it happen because this is your, this is your show, your vision, your creative thing. And I show up that way when I design my own stuff, you know, cause then it's not about, it's about my vision as a designer, but then it's really about what's the director's vision. What's the producer vision, like where they want out of this and how do I help serve this bigger picture? And so I think that that level of attention has made it. So when people, you know, people know that if you hire me, I'm going to come in and deliver at that level because that's just my core belief of what you do. And regardless of what it is, right. So these babies that I've been like hanging out with, it's like, all right, well, we're going to work on all your motor skills so that you can be a better human, you know, and like participate in life more. So I just think it's like, that has also been the thing that's then for me is like, when I know people feel like they can trust that and that hiring me is the like always a win for them like that success you know I mean and then now I'm looking at like getting a really good agent over the next year will be a big success that gets me union feature films as my you know as my work so like as a designer like that's the next goal but like in currently right now yeah I don't know if that answers that in terms of like what success is I think it's redefining it um uh, I, for a long time, looked at money as success, right? And like, how much money do I have? And that's how I value myself. And I think the nice thing about, the nice thing about the negative thing about this pandemic and us being in this like giant, you know, economic depression, recession, whatever you would call it, is that it really made me have to reevaluate like what success is. Because if I say that success is only money, there's no, like, most of my, my industry was literally shut down until about this last month. So like there was no work. And even then there's very little work right now. And the odds of getting the jobs and then also the odds of it being safe and it not shutting down again, because somebody, if one person tests positive for COVID, the production has to shut down. So, you know, there's just like so much uncertainty in that, that it then makes like, all right, well then if, then maybe money isn't the barometer of success. And if that's the case, what is? And I think that's also where this comes. It's like success is people wanting to work with you. Success is being able to be creatively fulfilled in your, in your work and being able to pursue the things that excite you creatively. And ideally then being able to pay for life and being all those things. And like, I think one of the big things that isn't talked about and taught is how to really think about your work as a designer, as a business. So that like, for example, it's pra common practice that designers and stylists put shows on their own credit, personal credit cards or their own business credit cards. So if you don't pay that off and it zero out, many cards have a, have a clause in it that's like, unless you zero out your credit card statement before a certain date in the month, you will be charged interest on every purchase that you've made with your credit card. So let's say you did, like I've had shows where like I had $10,000 in, you know, purchases for the show. I got that $10,000 back, 
But because it was such a low budget show, I put other things in my own life on the credit card and wasn't able to pay it off and zero it out. So all of a sudden this like $500 job I did cost me seven, I ended up only being a $250 job because I spent $250 in interest on that $10,000 that I fronted them basically, right? So it was like things like that because I never zeroed out my credit card that I feel like those have been the hard lessons to learn as a creative that I think really need to be dealt with and talked about. And um, especially now as marketing and the longevity of a project is now less in the hands of studios and more in the hands of individuals and creatives on their own. Uh, sort of pulling on that thread a little bit, because you, you shared with me before um, some of, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, so, sort of the difficulties, especially if someone new come trying to break into the industry and, and find their footing in the industry. You've also shared that there's, there seems to be like a gap between, you know, designers and then whether it's creators and producers what what would you say to someone whether on either side of those things about how what kind of perspective shift needs to occur or whether one needs to occur so that like the totality of production is better for all sides newbies trying to get their footing into into um jobs producers and directors i, I don't know who's responsible for what but like making sure that you have a set with with everyone involved that's like they, they work in sync and, and congruently. Like what, what do you, what would you say is your, what would your advice be to someone listening to this who is in any one of those roles, but just to it, to make things work better on a project mm -hmm. that these are the kinds of shifts that people may want to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, I think that question also is universal. It's not just for film work, but also can be, you know, film work tends to be overtly collaborative, collaborative, right? Like there's, we tend to notice that more, but in any even office situation, there's collaboration and conversations that are had. And, you know, I think the number one thing for me is making sure to have like, I always keep saying grace or compassion for people and where they are as individuals in the conversation and what they you know, everybody wants to be seen and heard and wants to know that they're important. So how, when it, collaboration happens, it's really in my mind about how do you make sure to stay open yourself to what all these people have to say and offer so that you can best support them and also get the best ideas out. You know, the, if you look in history in terms of like great artistic movements, you know, such as like the Dadaists and the Impressionists and, you know, the surrealists and you know the um film nouveau and all this stuff that's happened like all these creative things or even just creative thought leaders they tend to be involved in a community of people right so it's not just we maybe get one or two outliers who become kind of become the famous ones in the group but the reality is they all have salons of people that they talk to and that every great movement in the world right looking even at like civil rights movement here in the united states we had a lot of people involved in the conversation. And while Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, you know, really, you know, became kind of the top points of the, like the sixties of their time, they were surrounded by wonderful minds who were supporting their, you know, and feeding off of one another to help them kind of create this platform that they were bringing to. So, you know, really being open to what that is and, acknowledging the power of a collective I think is really important so that if nothing else focusing on the group and managing and taking care of your group is I think the most important job as a leader and as a creative so you know even if I'm not the department head I always come to the with, to my job with the intention of we're here as a collective to create something and my goal is to help help everybody get across the finish line at the same time and that that level of collaboration in my mind is what's really important. I don't do it for other people. I do it for myself, to be quite honest, right? It's what makes me feel good about the work that I do and my role in the team. And, you know, and it's so important to me that the people I work with aren't left alone, right? Like, I don't, I just also am someone who's like, I can't see people struggle. 
And so, and not do something about it. So if someone's in a job situation with me on set and they're having a hard time, like I want to try to help them and like give them a safe, if, even if it's just giving people a safe space to share their feels and express what, you know, what is, what they're struggling with so that they can then, you can then, you know, they just then feel seen and heard. Um, no, that's, that's actually really powerful. And like you said, it's, it's, it translates into, it's not contained in film and, and TV productions, like in every, every sense. And like, unex I think most people work on teams with groups on with people. And so I think that's, that's a really like awareness directed perspective, like be cognizant, not only of like yourself, your wants, your desires, but like, there's other people around that have the same wants and desires. And so like um, being aware of that, Sarah, this has been really, really like insightful. Like there's, there, I don't know much about film TV. So I really want to thank you for sharing and diving some really intimate details about like the industry, the work stuff that again, we don't, we don't see. Right. And it's only you being doing the work and being involved in the industry that you can share. Uh, I do want to start as we're starting to wrap up. You've got, a lot of projects going on, right? So you've got the work that you do as designer. Um, so if you want to share a little about that, also I'd love to know more about the podcast, um, who, who that might be a good fit for, Set Ready Go Garment Bags, um, where people can connect with you there. So why don't you just share a little about all, you mentioned the book that hopefully we'll, we'll see next year. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe share a little about what you've got going on, what can we expect from Sarah Kogan in the, in the near future? Oh, that's great. Thanks, uh, Richard. So again, like I mentioned, I have my work as a designer. So the film I just finished recently during this time is a indie feature called 18 and a half. So that'll be coming out uh, next year, 2021. And it's pretty great. I really enjoy I mean, the cast is phenomenal. Um, we've got like John Magaro and um, in it as one of the leads and Kathy Curtin and uh, Von Kurtz Hall, who's like amazing and dream and um, Willa, and it's just like really great cast. And then, um, and it's this historical fiction based on the 18 and a half minutes of missing tape during the Watergate scandal. So it's all like could have happened, didn't happen, but you know, it's pretty great. It's this thriller meets comedy kind of thing. So uh, check that out. That'll be coming out uh, in again, 2021. And then, you know, and then I also have started launching this course, like I think I mentioned, that is a, right now I'm doing an eight-week course on visual storytelling and world building for filmmakers. So it's really how to think about the visual side of filmmaking and how to build the three-dimensional worlds that our characters live in. And then how do we see them through the revelation of form through the camera, right? So how do we access this world then that we've created through the camera? and really being able to help bridge that gap of information there. So that's gonna be actually through a, a company called Film Launch, which is a film course site. So uh, that's exciting and I'll be doing that. And my podcast, as I mentioned, Designing the Void is a podcast about film design, its influence on stories and the worlds we see on screen. So it's a little of, I have real conversations on it with designers and filmmakers who are about what they do as creatives and how they deal with situations on set as, you know, costume designers, prop masters, et cetera, and problem solve as well as like what goes into their craft. So if you're into film, whether you're a filmmaker or you're not a filmmaker, it's kind of an interesting conversation. That's, it's kind of like all the behind the scenes stuff that you would see with a movie, but even deeper, right? We really talk about practicality. So as an audience, a film lover, you can kind of then get a better sense of what is going on and what goes into the shots that you're watching and the movies and the shows that you enjoy so much. So, uh, so that's the podcast again, it's designing the void and you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And then, yeah. So then, and then the last thing is my garment bag company and that is set ready, go garment bags. You can find it at setreadygarmentbags.com. Um, and it's again, organizational garment bags. You can also find us in the container store. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like all the things. And then I'm constantly, like I've got big plans for the future of what I'm working on. So uh, if you want to kind of stay tuned with that, you can sign up at designingthevoid.com for our newsletter. Um, I say our, but it's just me right now. 
everything's just me right now. <laughs> it's our little secret. It's our, it's, it's our, it's our. It's our little um, secret, but it can be everyone's. I look a lot more <laughs> fabulous than I really am. <laughs> so. Sarah, I, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time, with your thoughts and, and being really, really authentic and raw about like the, what you do every day and all the projects and not just the projects themselves, but also like the intention and, and again, being sharing the why behind that. Like, I, I really appreciate it. This for me was a very great conversation. Uh, if people want to connect with you and you said, uh, sarahcogan.com, um, we've got setreadygarmentbags.com, designing the void. Uh, is there any, I mean, how many mediums do we want to share out there? It, I mean, maybe you can also, just, yeah. Well, I'll just say Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram, uh, at Sarah Kogan Designs or um, at Designing the Void and then also at Set Ready Go Bags. So, you know, you got three ways to connect with me on Instagram. So um, people have no, no excuse not to connect with you. <laughs> what it really is. I hope I'd love to, I love talking with people and uh, helping people and however I can. So I mean, open invitation to everyone listening. Like if there's anything that I can help with and you want to talk or have support about anything please reach out to me on any of these forums like i'm more than happy to talk i love that's, helping that's people awesome. so. folks reach out to her before before she's re inaccessible to us, us <laughs> um sarah thank you again so thank much you. for the time i'd love to actually yield the floor for you real quickly if you have any parting words for anyone who anyone who may want to speak to generally specifically anyone who may be a good connector or just any again parting words that you may have for the audience I feel like it's it. I, um, again, if you're a filmmaker and you want to talk filmmaking, great. If you want to talk entrepreneurship because you're an entrepreneur and you're doing a product and you know, great. Like I, I'm just really happy to help. And you know, I really mean that. And I also just have faith in, you know, those of you out there that are looking to create your own stuff, do it, just do it. There's the worst thing that happens is we fail. And then that's really not failing. It's just learning, you know? So uh, and I just think life's too short to not go after what you truly love. So do it. Very awesome. The wonderful Sarah Kogan. Thank you so much. Thank you. And with that, AR Nation, until next time, take care, be well. Bye for now. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who sold millions of dollars in products and services online, as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.